week, Lisa Drew shared with you the story of John Wesley's faith crossroads and his intersection with the Moravian Peter Bowler. And I just thought it was so interesting when I started studying that hymn, Amazing Grace, and realized that it really partly was born out of a ship, a, a ship being at storm at sea, just like John Wesley's faith. But she also introduced, Lisa also introduced the concept that those of us in the Methodist tradition have something to offer the world, an understanding of God's grace. It's that God is the one who offers the grace, but we have a certain understanding of it that we can communicate and share with people because everybody needs this. Everybody needs this. And that that intersection of Wesley's life with, with Bowler and with the Moravian emphasis on salvation by faith, Wesley had a heartwarming experience. He records in his journal that very reluctantly he went to a meeting on a Sunday evening. He was tired. He was at that time where he was still discouraged and struggling with his faith. So he went to this meeting in Aldersgate Street. So there's a little clue to you. Anytime you see the word Aldersgate on a church or a church camp, you know it's United Methodist. And he's sitting in this meeting, not in a very good attitude, and, and here's, it's really interesting, not while listening to the scriptures, but while listening to Martin Luther's introduction to Romans. And there, Martin Luther is another person who really struggled with the concept of, am I saved, and is it by my deeds, or is it by my faith? And Wesley was listening to that, and he, he records that he felt his heart strangely warmed. And suddenly he knew, he knew that Jesus had died for him and his sins were forgiven. He just knew it. Now, some people call this conversion moment, but it was more like it was just a moment where that assurance came flooding through him and God's grace just flowed through him. And it was, a, it was a new birth kind of moment for Wesley, and it helped to shape his theology for the rest of his life. And that's the theology that some of the theology I want to share with you today, the shape especially of Wesley's understanding of grace. Grace. Let me give you a definition, and I actually, I heard this in some of what Penny said today, because she asked the children, you know, how do we get grace? You know, it wasn't by something we do. And then, and I love that she went on to talk about how we share it. But this is the definition that's actually in our book of discipline. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. Let me say that again, because it's kind of a long one. It's the undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. The kernel of that is, grace is God's love in action. That's it. God's love in action. We get it from nothing that we have done. We don't earn it. It's not a reward. It's just because God loves us. And it is not just a love, you know, like, you know, kind of being beamed at us towards, towards us from God. It's not just a feeling. It is God's activity in our lives. It's God doing stuff in us and through us and with us. It's love and action. And any time you have God acting in life, that's through the, the Holy Spirit. That is how God is present with us. So that's just a given. Now, grace acts in different ways at different times of our lives. And this is, this is a logical thing, if you think about it, really. It's like love. You love people in different ways at different times. Or you, love, you have different kinds of love relationships with different people. But the one that probably co 
corresponds most closely to grace is the parent-child relationship. Now, I want you to think about it. You love your child actively in different ways at different times of their life, right? When they're an infant or a very young child, the love that you express for them is expressed through doing things like changing diapers and feeding them and holding them and, 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 and cuddling them and nurturing them and keeping them safe and all those things. You're showing love to them in a particular way at that time of their lives. When they're older, and they're adolescents or teens or even young adults, your love is different, right? It acts itself out in a different way. It is uh, a teaching love, a guiding love, a setting the boundaries type of love. Sometimes it's an arguing love, <laughs> and you know, at that time of life, because they're trying to figure out who they are and, and where they're going. They're they needing to separate from you a bit. And then when they leave home and they're your grown children, you love them in a whole nother way. You're there for their high points and for their low points. And if there's times when they stumble and need their, their parent again, you're there. And you're loving them in a different way. But it's all the same love, the parent for the child. And grace is that way too. It's all the same grace, but it acts in different ways in different parts of our spiritual lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The first way that grace acts in our life is through prevenient grace. This is, that's a Wesleyan word. Prevenient. It's not one of those words that we use in everyday conversation. Uh, so as a churchy word, and not only that, it's a Methodist churchy word. It's prevenient grace. Prevenient grace surrounds all people. All people, not just Christians even. This is God's love for all people. And it's, if you look at the word prevenient, you probably kind of figure out what it means. Pre. So it's something about before, and then it has you know, the Latin root of the word to come in there. So it's something that comes before. It's probably, we have the word prevent, which is very similar, right? You prevent, you do something before something happens to prevent it from happening. And that's where the word prevenient is, is very closely related. It's more like preceding. Prevenient grace comes before we do anything. Before we know God, before we're born, before we're able to talk, before we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, before we even know about salvation, this is the grace that comes before. This is God working in our lives and, and putting people in our lives and, and feelings in our hearts that says, I think I need God, or shows us the way. This is God calling to us and wooing us and pursuing us and drawing us to him. That's what prevenient grace does, and it acts in lots of different ways in our lives. Before we have ever done anything to accept God, even, that prevenient grace is working in our lives, like our own little Jiminy, Jiminy Crickets. <laughs> you know, that's prevenient grace working in our lives. It teaches us and nurtures us. Until we get to a point where we are ready to accept the salvation that, that God has to offer through Christ, and then what grace acts as justifying grace. That's what, like Wesley's heartwarming experience, he was experiencing justifying grace, that, that knowledge that Jesus died for him. It's the justifying grace that's really being described in the first Peter passage that Chris read. This is about, this is what Jesus did, and our whole hope and trust are based on that. That's how we are justified. That's when suddenly we realize that we can say yes to what God is offering us. And the easiest way for me to remember justifying 
And what, it, and what it means is kind of a visual for me, is to think of the other time, and one of the other places we use the word justifying or justification is in lining up words on a, on a typewritten page. You know, and you have the choices. You know, I don't know if we use the word as much now that we have computers, but, you know, a justified page is like a newspaper column. It's straight on both sides. That's fully justified. It's straight on both sides. You can justify something on, on I better not, I'm going to get you confused if I do right and left this way. Okay, you can justify something down the left-hand side, or you can justify something down the right-hand side. You can center it, or it could be fully justified. I worked for a typesetting company for a while, and you didn't say justified left or justified right. You, if it was justified on the left-hand side, you said it was ragged on the right side. And if it was justified on the right-hand side, you said it was ragged on the left-hand side. And that's what I like is when we're fully justified, we're no longer ragged. We don't have those ragged edges. God has lined us up. That's what justifying grace does for us and gives you a visual for it as well. And finally, not finally, but continuing, there is sanctifying grace because here's the story, and you know this is true. Even once you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, even once you maybe have felt born again or converted or joined the church or been baptized or whatever form it took for you, even then, we are not perfect. We still make mistakes. We have times in our lives where we turn away from God. We are still not as loving as we would like to be. All of that stuff. So what do we need? We still need grace in our lives. We still need it. You know it's, you know you need it. Because you know what? Even when we're saved or have that new birth, we're still spiritual teenagers at the very least. Now, you know when you're a teenager, a lot of times you think you know everything, but you don't. And there's a lot of people who are new Christians, and they think they know everything, but they don't. We all need to keep growing and developing, and sanctifying grace helps us to do that. It keeps affirming in our hearts that we are beloved of God. It keeps helping us bring us back when we've wandered away. It's the thing that helps us to love people, forgive. It helps us do those things. It helps to guide us. And it keeps helping us become more and more loving. Think of the word sanctifying. You can see what it's related to. Sanctuary. Sanctity. Saint. Sanctifying grace actually works towards making us holy. But you know what? That's next week's sermon. Let us pray. God, help us to invite into our lives your grace to experience it, to find ways of touching it, to find ways of observing it and being so thankful for it. Keep working in us, Lord. Keep sanctifying us. Help us to be justified to say yes to you. And may we be instruments of grace in other people's lives. Amen. As the ushers come forward, would you join me in prayer? Almighty Creator, you have blessed us in so many ways. We present to you our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. We ask that you consecrate this bounty, and we pray that you will be well pleased. We dedicate this to you, your continued service and your faith for all God's children. In Jesus' name we pray.
one of the difficulties in singing a popular song in a church is I think you might have a tendency, well, one is you know what the song is, but the other part uh, is that uh, I think sometimes you don't listen and really think of the words and meditate on the words. Um, you raise me up. If you think about the words in your relationship with God, you start to understand that, you know, we're nothing without God, and it's God's grace that really raises us up. And not only that, uh, I think God takes great delight in the things that we can accomplish when, when uh, his light shines through us and we become uh, uh, the help to others. Stand on mountain 